to different people, deacons mean different things. And so it's very difficult. Even as I'm teaching about this, it's not easy. But you have to divorce from your thinking what you normally would conjure up when the word deacon is mentioned. The role of deacons is so different from one church to another. That when a person says he's a deacon, you usually have to ask a number of questions to find out what he does. In fact, there are many people, if you ask, what does a deacon do? They don't have the foggiest idea what a deacon does or what a deacon is. It's just always something we've had. So tonight, rather than a message dealing with 1 Timothy 3, I'd like to lay the groundwork for next week. But tonight, almost like a Sunday school lesson, I'd like us to just ask some questions that pertain to deacons. And with our understanding, these questions answered biblically, then we will understand chapter 3 of 1 Timothy when Paul, and we'll study it next week as he lays down qualifications for deacons. As we have studied 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first seven verses dealt with pastors or elders. However, now verses 8 through 13, those are about deacons. It's not easy to study about deacons because the term deacon has a number of different connotations. Welcome to Verse by Verse with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. As we have been studying God's standard for church leadership, we're going to see that different people think of different things when they hear the word deacon or deacons, and that depends on their background. To some, deacons make up the official board of the church. Some come from backgrounds in which the deacons are recognized as the managing body. For some, deacons function much like elders do in some churches. The bottom line is that we're going to have to determine what the word deacon means, biblically speaking. Now, we might all have some ideas, but we're going to see what the Bible says a deacon is. So with today's verse-by-verse broadcast, here is our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul spends the first seven verses discussing elders, and then from verses 8 all the way through 13, he discusses deacons. Now, deacons are difficult to study about, and we won't spend as many weeks studying about deacons as we did about elders, but it's not easy to study about deacons. And I'll tell you why. The term deacon has a number of different connotations. To different people, it means different things. Different people think of different things when they hear the word deacon or deacons, depending upon their background. You think of different things, as I mentioned the term deacon. To some believers, it conjures up thoughts of the official board of the church. And some of you come from backgrounds in which the deacons are recognized as the managing body. They are the legally recognized managing body. They function, in a sense, as elders do in our church, in many churches. And you probably come from backgrounds in which that is the case. Others would come, even from this church, from backgrounds in which deacons are yes-men to the pastor. The pastor gathers those around him who he knows will agree with him. They call it the deacon board, and whatever he says passes. And that's, to many of us, what deacons mean. Still others have the connotation of deacons as titles of great honor, sort of like the layman's reverend. This is sort of a badge of honor, a great title of respect, a deacon. So you see, to different people, 
deacons mean different things, and so it's very difficult. Even as I'm teaching about this, it's not easy, but you have to divorce from your thinking what you normally would conjure up when the word deacon is mentioned. The role of deacons is so different from one church to another that when a person says he's a deacon, you usually have to ask a number of questions to find out what he does. In fact, there are many people, if you ask, what does a deacon do, they don't have the foggiest idea what a deacon does. Or what a deacon is. It's just always something we've had. So tonight, rather than a message dealing with 1 Timothy 3, I'd like to lay the groundwork for next week. But tonight, almost like a Sunday school lesson, I'd like us to just ask some questions that pertain to deacons. And with our understanding, these questions answered biblically, then we will understand chapter 3 of 1 Timothy when Paul, and we'll study it next week as he lays down qualifications for deacons. Question number one, what does the word deacon mean? We all have our own ideas of what a deacon is, but what does the word actually mean? Our English word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, or its derivatives, or different forms of that Greek word, and it means literally servants. It means a servant. Sometimes the word appears in different forms and it's translated, it could be translated and is to minister, to serve, service, ministering, serving, minister, or just plain servant. There are a few isolated instances where it is translated, I believe, administration or relief. But generally speaking, this word is translated servant or its derivatives, depending upon the verb or the noun or whatever. The word deacon is not really a translation. It is a transliteration. In other words, we took the Greek word diakonos and we don't translate it. We just transliterate it. We make it into English. We take the Greek term and we make it sound English or Americanese. And so we come up with the word deacon. It would have been a lot simpler if the translators of the Bible had just translated this term servants. But we have now in our vocabulary a word deacon that is a foggy word out there that is difficult for many people to grasp. Now, no one knows for certain how this word originated. But the best suggestion is that it comes from a root word meaning to reach from one place to another. In other words, to pursue, to reach with diligence. And the idea here is that a deacon reaches out with diligence to serve others. That's the thought. A deacon reaches out with diligence to serve others. Now, you'll be interested to know that even though we speak so much of the office of a deacon, and that's what most of you think of when I mention deacon, you think of the office of a deacon, even though we think a lot about that, only three times in the New Testament is the office of deacon mentioned. In fact, two times for certain, and the third time it is questionable. The first time it's mentioned is Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers, that is, the pastors or the elders, and who? Deacons. Now, I believe that's the first instance that the Bible mentions the office of a deacon. The other place where it mentions it is in our passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, where Paul writes, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity and so forth. And verse 12, let deacons be husbands of only one wife. And verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons. So really we're talking about two passages of scripture, even though there are a few references here. The other passage is found in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Centria. Now there are some who believe, and we'll study this next week, Lord willing, 
that Phoebe was a deaconess of the church at Centria. It's possible that she was just a servant in the non-technical use of the term, as you and I are called to be servants, and it's very possible that she was an official deaconess of the church, a woman deacon. We're not sure about that, but we are sure that there are two instances where the official term is used in the sense of the office of a deacon, and that's Philippians 1 and 1 Timothy 3. Folks, there just isn't a whole lot that the Bible has to say about the office called deacons. There just isn't a whole lot. You can search the Bible all day long. You won't find much more than what I just dealt with now concerning the office of deacons. But there is a great deal of New Testament truth about service. And by seeing how this word deacon is used in the general terms of service, you understand what an official deacon is. Let me rephrase that. We don't find a whole lot of instances in the Bible where the term deacon is used as the official body of a church or a sense in which this is the office. But we do find the word deacon generally used all throughout the New Testament. And if we understand how deacon is used, then we understand what the official deacons are to be and do. Now that's very important. The original use of this word deacon meant a table waiter, one who served Food In its original and most limited usage of the term, the word simply means a waiter. Let me show you what I mean. Will you turn to John chapter 2? In John chapter 2, we see this word is used. This is the story of when Jesus went to the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. John chapter 2, verse 5. His mother said to the deacons, whatever he says to you, do it. His mother said to the table waiters, his mother said to those who waited on the people, the deacons, the diakonos, you servants are deacons. And in verse 9, when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants or the deacons who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom. These men are waiters and they are deacons. If you want to know what a deacon is, he is a waiter. He is to wait on people. He is to serve tables. In fact, in Luke 4.39, this is used again. Remember the story of how Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law? The Bible says, verse 38, And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they made request of him on her behalf. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately rose and began to do what? To wait on them. She deaconed them, or diakonized them. That's just a different form of the word. She served them, just like any Jewish mother would do. If she got up, she'd wait on tables, and she took care of them. She was a deacon in that sense. She diakonized them. Now, there are other places, too. In Luke chapter 10, verse 40, you don't need to turn there, but it's the story of Mary and Martha, and how Martha waited on tables. She was a waitress. That's the word. She was a deacon or a deaconess. In John 12, 2, we have the same thought there. Someone waited on Christ. And in Luke 17, 8, they were served a meal. It uses the word deacon. A deacon in its most primitive, most limited usage of the word is a table waiter. One who waits on tables. But we can't limit the word to that. It means far more than that. Far more than that. That was only in its original setting, in its most limited sense, 
And this is why you cannot take a Greek word and say it means this in every instance. No, it doesn't. The context will tell you this word broadens out. This word is expanded by the New Testament writers. It does not mean just one thing. You have to check by its context. And this word is much broader than just being a waiter. It is often used of service in general, any type of service, not just waiting on tables, any type of service that benefits another is the work of being a deacon. Service beneficial to others. For instance, in John chapter 12, you should look at this because this is very, very important. In fact, this may be the most critical verse in all the New Testament on what really service is. John chapter 12, verse 26 Jesus said, if anyone serves me, if anyone becomes my deacon, is what he's saying, if anyone diakonos me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall my deacon also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We're to be deacons to Christ. Any form of obedience to Christ is the work of being a deacon towards our Lord. All obedience to Christ is that of being his deacon or his servant. Out of love for him, we are to diakonize him. We are to serve him. We are to be his deacon. Anything. That's not just waiting on tables. I mean, obviously, you're not going to serve the Lord a meal. All types of service. This word is so general, and I want you to understand this, so general that it isn't even limited to the spiritual sense. Just like our English word for serve can mean a variety of things, so the Greek word can mean a variety of things. For instance, we say the President of the United States is serving us. Or I could say in racquetball, I'm serving. means two different things, but it is general service. That's as broad as this word is in the Greek language. In Romans chapter 13, we learn in verses 3 and 4, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is right, and you'll have praise from the same. For he, meaning a either police officer or a soldier, in that day and age they were the same, For he is a what? Minister to you. He's a deacon to you. Now, civil authorities are deacons because they render a service to you. They protect you, and they protect society, and they punish evil, and they promote good. They serve you. So they're called deacons. And this doesn't mean that the police officer is a Christian. Bruce is a Christian, but whether he would be or not, he still functions in the role as a deacon, as a civil deacon to society. So it doesn't have to be spiritual service. It doesn't have to be a Christian. It's so broad that it means any type of service that renders something beneficial to another person or to a group of people. But this word is also used for spiritual service. And I don't want to give you the idea that it's so broad that it's never used for spiritual service because it is. Romans 15, verse 25 Paul says, but now, speaking about instead of going to Spain and to Rome, but now I'm going to Jerusalem doing what? Serving the saints. And you know what Paul was going to do. He was going to bring relief funds. He was going to bring money from the Gentile churches to the Jewish church. And here he says, here I'm going, meeting their needs, because this is my service of being a deacon. Now, Paul wasn't an official deacon of any church. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. But Paul, in the sense of serving, was a servant to the church at Jerusalem. Paul was a deacon for the Jerusalem believers. And it's very important to understand, not in the office of a deacon. There are some people who want to make Paul an official deacon, but you can't do that. That's not the case. That's not true. But he's a loving Servants. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, speaking about this great love gift that the churches had. 
verses 3 and 4. Paul says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. Here was a group of people who wanted to support other believers with their financial means. And this word support is the word deacon. Deacon service. In other words, deacon service is meeting the physical needs of the saints. If someone has a need and you meet their needs, you're doing the work of a deacon, a servant. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20. This is very important for us to see this. And hopefully when we get through, you'll have no misunderstanding of what the Bible has to say about this. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus said, it's not to be amongst you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Don't be like the Gentiles who lord it over one another and they think it's great if they can be bosses and stamp on people and make them feel low. But if you really want to be great, he's saying, then you take the role of a deacon. You be a servant. That's the word here. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, I'm the model deacon. Anyone who wants to be great in the kingdom of God is to be like me. Jesus is a deacon. He's a deacon. So loving service to others, why? Why should we all be involved in deacon work? Because Christ was and is a deacon to us, meeting our greatest need, and that is salvation. So what he's saying is those who aspire to be leaders must voluntarily stoop to serve in the role of a deacon. Now we're all involved in this. Whether you realize it or not, you've been equipped to be a deacon. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I told you this was like a Sunday school lesson, just going back and forth, but you have to know this because through time, the word deacon has picked up all kinds of barnacles and all kinds of connotations, and we're just trying to clear the air so you really understand what we're talking about. Because if you miss this, you really won't understand what we're talking about next week. You really won't understand that every one of us is called to be a deacon. And if you miss that, then you won't understand what the official body called the deacons of the church is all about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5. Now he's speaking here about people being gifted, about people having different ministries, about the body of Christ having a unique ministry. Each one of us is gifted in an area. And he says in verse 5, and there are varieties of ministries. That's the word deacon. There's variety of diakonos, varieties, but the same Lord. Ministries of the word diakonia. Every believer is a deacon, rendering some form of service to the body of Christ. You are a deacon. You are a deaconess if you are a woman. You are to be involved in this. Now, it's true that some people seem to shine more than others. I believe the gift of helps is the gift of service. And there are some people who seem to be a cut above everybody else in serving. But that doesn't relinquish us from the responsibility to be servants, to be deacons. Every believer is. In fact, in Ephesians 4.12, it says that pastor, teachers, and evangelists, prophets, apostles are given to equip you to do what? The work of being a deacon. That's the work of ministry. That's the same word. So my job each week is to help you to be a better deacon. That's why I teach the word of God, that you might be equipped. And that equipping will help you to minister to others, and that's how the body of Christ is built up. You see, it's all connected. If I don't teach you, then you probably will not be growing as much, and your Sunday school teachers as well. You probably will not be growing and being the kind of deacon that you should be. And if you're not the kind of deacon you should be, then the body of Christ will not be built up. That's the progression of thought in Ephesians 4, 12, and 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we meet an interesting family. 
Chapter 16, verse 15 says this. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus. It's a good name, but that's the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for what? For being deacons to the saints. Now, highly unlikely that there's a whole family of deacons, but it is very likely that the whole family was committed to ministering, and everybody knew them as servants. They were all deacons, not in the official capacity, but in the servanthood role. It's fascinating to me. Even angels are deacons. You know that? The Bible says in Hebrews 1.14, they are ministering spirits. They are deaconing spirits. They protect us, they watch over us, and they further our well-being. So, so angels are deacons. They may not sit on a deacon's meeting. They may not be an official board, but they are deacons because they are serving you. That's the word there. And I might add, every time you read in the New Testament the word servant or the word slave, it is not always the word deacon. It is not. There's other words there. There's one word for slave being an under rower, a galley slave. There's another word, doulos, which means a low slave, the lowest of the lows. This is a specific word, and it's used here for angels being deacons. So all of us are to be deacons. So to answer the question, what does the word deacon mean? Any kind of service. Any kind of service. Second question. If all of us are deacons, then where did the office of a deacon originate? That's a good question. And I don't know the answer. I know that your minds are probably thinking, what about Acts chapter 6? Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 6. And I would venture to make a very bold statement right at the beginning of this that I don't believe that it's conclusive that deacons began in Acts chapter 6. I know we usually think that, but that doesn't come from a careful study of the passage. It just comes from people telling us and we just sort of accept it. And we have no other place to say the deacons came from, so we just assume that it came back there. In fact... I'm convinced that there was never a passage called Philippians 1.1 which spoke of deacons and there never was a passage of 1 Timothy chapter 3 which spoke of the office of deacons. Nobody would ever conclude that Acts chapter 6 is the beginning of this office. We interpret that by interpreting the other passages. But a clear study of this, I think, indicates that they were not the first official deacons. No one knows for sure where it began, but Acts chapter 6 has to be examined because it does give us insight into what deacons are today, even though I don't believe it started officially back then. In Acts chapter 6, we read this in verse 1 and 2. Now at this time, that is the Passover time, the day of Pentecost time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Now you understand, the Hellenistic Jews are Jewish people who generally live outside of Palestine. They live in the Roman Empire, and they do not speak Hebrew as their main tongue. They may know Hebrew, but they speak Greek. That's why they are called Hellenistic Jews. There was no Gentiles in this church, but there were Greek-speaking Jews. But there arose a complaint on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. That is, some people started murmuring. See, our problems in the 20th century is not unique. People murmured back then. And they murmured against the native Hebrews, that is, Jewish people who lived in Judea, and their main language, their main tongue was Hebrew. Now, why did the Hellenistic Jews murmur against the Hebrew-speaking Jews? Because their widows, that is, the Greek-speaking widows, were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, let's stop there for a moment. It's believed by scholars that at this time in the history of the church, that there was about 20,000 people in the church of Jerusalem. 
so much for small churches. There are people who tell me that churches ought to always be small. If you grow to a certain amount of people, then you just have to expand and start another work. But this church here had about 20,000 people at the time. Now, that's a lot of people to take care of. You had some very poor widows there. You had people who came in from the outside for the Passover time. And then the day of Pentecost, they came to know the Lord and they just stayed on. And the church had to take care of them. There's no way that 12 apostles could take care of all the widows around town. Several things stood out to me on today's verse-by-verse broadcast. One of those was the household of Stephanus. Here we are over 2,000 years later, and we are talking about his family's faithfulness in serving. I thought that was cool. The next item that jumped out at me was the world's first megachurch in Jerusalem. I mean, 20,000 people? Wow! Well, then, as Pastor Steve was talking about being servants and that we should all have servant attitudes, he stated that in that aspect, we're all deacons. Although, of course, that doesn't mean that we all hold the office of deacon in our church. Lots of good things to ponder after today's verse-by-verse broadcast. And we will be back again next time. We will continue to talk about having a heart to serve. 